I pray that you would do a wonderful work in and through this time of hearing and studying your word. I ask, Lord, that you would instill in us a joy. Regardless of what's happening in our, in our lives and in our world, as we know the hope of heaven and are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, may that give us a, a joy that gives us strength. Lord, that blesses you. That gives us a different perspective as far as life is concerned. And that, Lord, we may share that with others. And so I thank you, Lord, for the gathering of your people. Father, I pray that it would be a blessing to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we gather this morning, I, I was thinking about just the fact that we all do experience various trials. Uh, there are circumstances in our lives that um, are difficult. They are troubling. Uh, sometimes we are faced with things that we've never faced before, and yet we know that the Lord is faithful to come alongside us in those times. There's a kind of a question for those who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, what that looks like in day-to-day living. Even when we gather together as his people, uh, there are those who, are, who come in and they, and they wonder, why is everyone so happy? And honestly, it's even annoying. <laughs> and honestly, that is true. When unbelievers see the joy of the people of God, it's just, it's just annoying. You take that into the workplace. You take that... Um, into, uh, you know, your friends that are unbelieving, and they wonder, and they say, why, why are you so filled with joy? Well, come to Christ. Surrender your life to him, and you will know that joy. I pray that that would be what happens with more of us, as not only you allow the joy to, to pour out of you unapologetically, but that you would share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others, that others may come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, surrendering their lives to him, repenting and believing, and know that personally. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For all those who are walking with the Lord, you experience this. You know this to be true. His burden truly is light and his yoke is easy. So share the love of Christ with others. Share the gospel with others and invite them to come and worship together. You know, this morning we continue in our study in the gospel of Luke. We are in Luke chapter 5. And we're going through verses 27 through 20 or 27 through 39. And this is the final portion of this chapter. The, the title of the message is, Why Do You Eat 
and drink. You'll see why it's that title, uh, why I gave it that title, why do you eat and drink, because it was asked two times of Jesus and his disciples for two different reasons. And the reason why I also brought up uh, the, the truth about joy, uh, being present with a believer, is because in the second uh, portion or yeah, portion of, this, uh, of our text, uh, we see how it is that those people who are outside uh, Jesus' disciples are wondering why it is that uh, there is such joy and happiness with them and the manner in which they're conducting themselves. So let's begin by reading Luke chapter 5 and verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector, a tax collector named Levi, sitting at the, bo- the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new, and the piece from the the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. Father, we ask your blessing upon our time of studying your word. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to Give your undivided attention. Lord, that we would be present here. Knowing that you desire to speak to us. Lord, to minister to us. To do a work in our own hearts, Lord. That we may, Lord, uh, have a better understanding of your word. And Lord, as we do, that we would love you more. But most importantly, that you would, you would see, Lord, that, uh, that we agree. And Lord, that our hearts are being drawn to you. Because you see, because we see your love for us, and we desire to bless you by expressing our love to you. And so, Father, do a work this morning in our own hearts, and may you have your way with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as um, we read through, we have two situations here. The first situation uh, comes after Levi is called to follow Jesus. So Jesus called 
Levi to follow him. And then we have the Pharisees and, and their scribes that grumbled. They complained. And they addressed Jesus' disciples and asked, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? We have the second situation where the Pharisees and the scribes made a statement of observation about the disciples of Jesus. Saying, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But yours, eat and drink. As we, as we consider these situations, we, we come to an understanding that in both situations, the Pharisees and their scribes lacked understanding. They express this by what they ask and what they say. And in both, both situations, Jesus' response is succinct, it's brief. His answer was not lengthy, nor did he engage them in dialogue. He simply answered with truth. You know, I was uh, looking up some common misconceptions that are present in the world today. These are a couple misconceptions about the Christian life. Misconception number one. Once you become a Christian, God will solve all your problems. Is that the way it works? As we come to Christ, as he um, forgives us of our sins and we come into a relationship with him by surrendering our hearts to him, repenting and believing on him as Lord and Savior. His spirit indwells us. He gives us understanding of his word. It comes alive. And his word is the very thing that we go to for everything that pertains to life and godliness. His word becomes a lamp to our feet to give us an understanding of where we're standing. That's what the Word does. But also, His Word is not only a lamp to our, our feet, but a light to our path. In a very visual way, this illustrates the reality of God's Word in our lives. He tells us exactly where we are. And then He points us in the direction that we ought to walk. But we only know this if we read His Word and walk through it. It's not that he solves all of our problems for us, but he gives us instructions and teaches us how to navigate through problems with God's word. What happens if you are in a dark room and you are trying to find your way around? You have a flashlight and never turn it on. You will... Feel your way around and you may hurt yourself if you trip over something. It's the same thing with our walk with the Lord. In life, if we don't go to God's word and understand and, and learn how to navigate through our issues, the problems, the confrontations, our own hearts, then it'll be just like the person who's in that dark room and fails to turn that light on to see where they're standing, and where they should go. A misconception, once you become a Christian, God will solve all your problems. 
Psalm 119, 105, uh, your word, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Second misconception that I read about, and there are many, there are many. Bad things don't happen to truly godly Christians. Matthew, we're, we're told, we're, we're very well prepared. Perhaps you haven't read through the Bible, right? If, if you say these things, because Matthew 16, Jesus said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world, right? And he says many things in preparation for uh, the disciples to go out and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a dark and perverse world, right? And so it is with us as well. Common sayings that are not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Have you heard that before? Uh, Wrong. God knew we couldn't help ourselves. (laughs) None is righteous, no, not one, according to Romans 3.10. Jesus was sent to deliver us from sin and death. How about this? Money is the root of all evil. If you know Scripture, because it's just a a little twisting of Scripture. Oh, the love of money. You guys know it then. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 1 Timothy 6.10. There are many more, though. And there's also sayings within... Even scripture that, um, that really we need to pay attention to the things that we say that we don't misdirect people. And so just as they, there were in the days of Jesus, uh, still today there are many misconceptions, misunderstandings, and plain ignorance of what truth is. Even, as I said, within the church body. We would expect unbelievers to be ignorant, but for the Christian, no. We should not be ignorant of God's word. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ, uh, Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You know, teaching is very important. False or watered-down teaching of God's Word leads to sick and malnourished Christians who are undiscerning and lack biblical wisdom. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But I believe that those itchy years that cause a great increase of teachers who teach what encourages them to live for their passions. In other words, according to emotion. Sound familiar? And turn away from listening to the truth is a result of the neglect of a, the personal responsibility of studying the Bible. You see, those people that do not study the Word of God can't test the veracity of the statements that are made if they don't know what is truth. So, they wander off into myths, led by emotions. You see, myths are widely held but false beliefs or ideas, fallacies. 
laziness is something that we ought to uh, repent of. We ought to confess and repent. There's not a lack of time. There's a lack of making the best use of our time and prioritizing that which is most important. And that is reading the word, praying and drawing close to the Lord, and growing in our understanding of it. Because, again, that applies to every area of our lives. Laziness in personal study of God's word leads to sick and malnourished Christians, undiscerning, who are undiscerning and weak. 2 Timothy 3.5 says, Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. God's word is very straightforward. Avoiding such people. The appearance of godliness, oh, on the outside, Looking so good, but really denying its power because it's with a lack of understanding. It's a lack of depth. You know, this, uh, this past week, we went through a week of prayer and fasting. And, um, you know, it, it, it gets, like the first few days are okay, Right? And then we get to a certain point to where the activities that we normally engage in on a day-to-day basis, well, at some point, it's like uh, we, we start to slow down. Um, you know, we, we get a little tired, you know, at times when we don't normally get tired. You know, why is that? It's because we need food, right? We need food. And so in order for the, the body to keep going, at some point, if we keep denying it food, then we're going to just not function anymore, period. Imagine spiritually. That same concept being applied. To not take in the word of God, to not take it in. Not be built up spiritually. Not have the endurance, the strength, the power, the stamina, the understanding, the ability to apply that strength in certain situations. Why? Because we have not fed ourselves with God's word and subjected ourselves to the authority of the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 4.4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, as believers who study God's word, we come to know, understand, and apply God's word. And in that, we are filled with wisdom, and are discerning, and are equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy 3.17. Again, Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so therefore, we are to study God's word to know and understand it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. No Christ, no truth. 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And so as we, as we consider this, we come into this misconception that we read here in Luke chapter 5. 
Again, a myth being a widely held but false belief or idea. What is the misconception? Well, that Jesus hung out with drunkards, gluttons, and sinners. Did he? No. Jesus did not hang out with such people in the way people who desire to compromise by hanging out with such people and do what they do in in the world on a regular basis make it sound. Not in that way. Again, we need to have an understanding of the Scripture. Otherwise, we'll be duped into believing whatever it is that people want to justify their sinful behavior with. Right? Remember, and consider this. Remember, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, according to Luke 19.10. Not to affirm the lost in their sin. Otherwise, Jesus would have lived in contrast to the Bible, the very word of God. For instance... 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Hmm. That's interesting. Why did he, again, the misconception, and it's for, a, it, it, it depends on the way in which you spin this. You've got to look, look at it in the manner in which the Word of God interprets it. The intentions of this. Jesus would have been contradicting these other verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? We consider these things, and we start to see this hanging out with tax collectors and sinners in a different way, don't we? At the same time, we're not foolish, we're not ignorant, we're not naive thinking that we live in a bubble. We don't. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I'm sure you've heard that before. The sentiment is, is uh, it's an expression that reflects John chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, which says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. And this is, by the way, Jesus' prayer. This is as he engages the Father. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. To sanctify means to set apart for God, for His purpose and for His glory. Again, things that we need to think about as we consider that whole situation, that event. Because you see, one cannot walk with the world and walk with God. 1 John 1.6 very clearly says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
James 4.4. 4. It says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so knowing these things, again, bringing clarity to the text, interpreting Scripture with Scripture, we can look at these verses with greater understanding and know that the purpose Jesus called and engaged people like Levi the tax collector and his friends who were also tax collectors and why Jesus' disciples carried themselves in a different way than others was not for the sake of just hanging out with them to act like them, but rather for the sake of revealing who Jesus is and leading them to believe in him, salvation, while remaining faithful, consistent with the very word that he is. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance as his desire. It was his desire in this moment as well. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. With that, let's read through and, and gain a better understanding of what we have before us. We begin by Levi being called by Jesus in verse 27 says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. <laughs> Truly amazing. You see, Levi was a tax collector and he was a Jew. A, ta a Jew who was a tax collector working for the Roman authority. In that day, tax collectors were despised. Considered to be traitors of the Jewish people because they took money from them by force, by threats, by unfair and unjust means. But it's interesting, at the same time, there are many who actually wanted this position. Why? Because it was lucrative. They were able to line their pockets quickly and live very comfortably. It was thought that perhaps Levi, also known, by the way, as Matthew, was the richest disciple among the disciples. But at the same time, it wasn't because of his monetary gain, the accumulation of riches or possessions. It was because he had the greatest possession of all, and that is Jesus Christ. As Jesus was walking, we see here, he saw Levi working at his tax booth, and he just simply called out to him. Imagine that. The tax collector, despised. Viewed as a traitor by the Jewish people. And here comes Jesus, and he just simply calls out to him, follow me. What does it mean? What did Jesus mean by saying this, follow me? This was not a call into a deeper commitment because he had no commitment to Jesus up to that point, but rather an initial commitment to Jesus, the initiation of a commitment, of a surrender to him. 
It was a call to make a commitment to become a Christian. You see, at that point, Levi had no idea what that meant. Jesus gives us the reason why it is that he has come and he has called Levi in verse 32. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Oh yeah, Levi is an absolute, <laughs> he is absolutely a sinner. But once the commitment is made, more will be learned by the disciple about what it means to live life trusting in Jesus and living life according to his will. That is, according to his word. Levi left everything. And when Levi left everything to follow Jesus, it is the, in the inceptive imperfect, which means that Levi began to follow him. It is the beginning of a continuation of Levi's discipleship. From that point on, Levi, although imperfect, did not turn back from following Jesus Christ. It was the initiation, the initial point of his continuing discipleship until he went home to be with the Lord. So the question is, initially, how did Levi follow Jesus? Well, initially, by his willingness to follow, and then by inviting Jesus into his home. Now, before we move on to Levi's home and the banquet that he had prepared for Jesus, he put on a, a, just a big party. It was a feast. I would like to point out that Levi made a significant sacrifice. Sometimes we read through and we go on, you know, verse 27, verse 28, and we just keep going. But we need to pause for a second and, and ponder and, and consider this. He made a significant sacrifice the moment he left the tax booth to, and chose to follow Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't like a tax collector could just leave his tax booth and then, you know, the Romans would be okay with that. And then he could come back and resume his business of collecting taxes. No. It was commonly known that if you leave that place in that position, you're not coming back. He chose to do that. In contrast, and I want to draw the contrast here, uh, we see the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. In Luke chapter 18, we have the story of a conversation that is had between a rich young ruler and Jesus. In Luke 18, 18, it says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said all these things. And he said, All these things I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In contrast, we come back to Levi. Because unlike the rich young ruler who walked away sad because he was not willing to leave all to follow Jesus, Levi, although rich, chose to leave it all because he knew that Jesus was of greater value in that moment than all the riches in the world. Do you believe that? Do you know that? And Levi was filled with great joy. He was happy about leaving. It doesn't say anywhere that he was resentful or bitter at any point. And immediately, joy fills his heart, and he invites Jesus to a great feast with all of his friends. He invites all of his friends. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. Mm, A big party. That was the invite. At the moment uh, Levi chose to leave all to follow Jesus, again, he was filled with great joy. He didn't consider what he had lost because he knew whom he had gained. Philippians 3.8 says this in the New Living Translation. It says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. In other words, if anything hinders me from coming to Christ, I'm willing to consider it as like garbage, nothing to consider, something to throw out that it may not hinder me or deny me my relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, this was the heart of Levi. He was happy. He was filled with great joy. And he wanted to honor Jesus because this feast was for him. And so the guest of honor was Jesus. And then Levi invited all of his friends to meet him. You know, a person who is saved is filled with joy and desires that others know salvation along with them. And will invite them to meet Jesus so that they too would believe in him. Trust in him and follow him. Oh, the house was full. The house was full of tax collectors. Tax collectors and others. And they were all enjoying this feast together. But then there were the grumblers, the complainers. Verse 30 says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? There's this religious group, the Pharisees and their scribes, who grumbled. They complained because Jesus and his disciples were associating with tax collectors and sinners. What was the perception? We need to understand in that day, what, what that meant, why it is that they were asking Jesus' disciples this question. Because their perception was that Jesus and his disciples were compromising the law by associating with these sinners. 
The attack, we know, was not direct. It was indirect. The question was asked to Jesus' disciples, but ultimately it was an attack on Jesus himself. You know, this still happens today. Sometimes people make accusations with limited or no knowledge whatsoever. Based on hearsay, on wrong perceptions, or even on preconceived notions. So the question is, what was Jesus doing there? Was he there to drink alongside them, get drunk and talk about the world, their goals and aspirations, to tell stories, throw some back and smoke stogies? Again, I I bring this to your attention. It's hard for me to even say it, all right? Because there are churches that believe that this is exactly what he was doing and perhaps what we could do ourselves. Mm, It's not even close. In the minds of the Pharisees, you see contact with tax collectors, traitors, and sinners would bring about moral and ritual uncleanness. It was a detestable act. Because to break bread with someone meant full acceptance of them. That you had no reservations about them, and perhaps it meant that they were even friends. Because only friends ate together. You only ate with brothers and sisters. But Jesus did not leave them to their own ideas, their own perceptions. He did not do that. He answered their question. The question was asked to his disciples, but he answered the question. Always let Jesus answer the question. Always let God's word answer the question. So he addressed their misconception. Verse 31, it says, uh, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Short and to the point, was it not? That was it. With this, Jesus answered their question as to why he sat with tax collectors and sinners. And at the same time, he confronted their self-righteousness and their pride and their condescension. But they missed that. They missed that part of it. Again, it was common knowledge that tax collectors were dishonest and deceptive. A good example of this is the whole part in the Bible about Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. In Luke chapter 19, in verse 1, we read about Zacchaeus. He entered Jericho, that is, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man 
who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What a contrast, right? Zacchaeus' response to the Lord is opposed to the rich young ruler. Levi's as opposed to the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus in this moment, which again was common with all of the tax collectors, were known as being dishonest and deceptive. And Zacchaeus, he, he promised to make all things right. To those that he had defrauded, he promised to give back fourfold and to give half of everything that he had to those who were in need. Jesus noticed, didn't tell him anything. He didn't tell him to do this. But it was just the presence of Jesus, his relationship with him, that caused him to be convicted as the Lord revealed these things to his, himself, to Zacchaeus. And he was willing to make things right and do what was right. Listen, just like Zacchaeus knew exactly who he was, Levi and his guests, they all knew exactly what they were doing to the people. You see, all of us don't need an explanation of our sins. We already know them. Draw closer to the Lord. Those things will be revealed just like in the heart of Zacchaeus. It's not something bad. In fact, it's something good. It's something that we ought to engage in. As we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Levi and his friends, obvious sinners. Whereas the Pharisees and scribes believed they were righteous. But Jesus told them that he was the great physician who was there to heal souls that needed being restored. Of course, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as it says in Romans 3.23. So this was for all who were in this home including the Pharisees and the scribes, but they didn't all believe they needed a physician and definitely not a savior. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Even as a doctor has a duty and calling to care for the sick, so, so Jesus was sent to save sinners, calling them to repentance. And so Jesus told them why he was there. To call sinners to repentance. Lastly, why don't your disciples pray and fast? Verse 33 says, And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days he also told them a parable no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment if he does he will tear the new and the and the piece from the new will not match the old and no one who uh, no one puts new wine into old wineskins if he does the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed but the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. 
The question, why don't your disciples pray and fast? Like the disciples of John the Baptist is who they were referring to. And the Pharisees. Again, they lacked understanding. But this was a question that gave Jesus an opportunity to explain who he is and also explains the bride of Christ, the church. They asked Jesus why his disciples didn't pray and fast, again, like John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples. Well, it was well known in those days, and we need to understand that this is the practice of those specifically in the area of Galilee. It was well known in that day that during a week-long wedding feast, it wasn't just one day. The reception is right after the wedding ceremony, and it's at 5 o'clock at a certain location. It wasn't like that. It was, hey, the wedding feast is, hey, hey, come. All who are invited, one week. One week of celebrating. So it was well known that that's what they would do. One week of of uh, having a wedding feast, that, that those who were a part of the wedding party were not required to observe religious rituals, including fasting and even attending to the morning and evening prayers. It was common practice. It was commonly known. So what Jesus was telling them, they understood. So they knew you couldn't make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them. And when Jesus said that there will come a day when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast in those days, he was referring to the time when he will be betrayed, rejected, beaten, and crucified. But for now, they are with the bridegroom. Jesus also spoke of the church, verses 36 through 38, as we read. The old wine is in reference to the Old Testament and Judaism, the practice of the law. And Jesus was not there to reform Judaism and patch up the old garment with a piece of a new garment. Jesus didn't come to put new wine in old wineskins. He is putting new wine in new wineskins. The new covenant, which brought about the church, is made up of what? Jews and Gentiles alike. Both Jews and Gentiles alike. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that in you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ Not the blood of sacrifices, according to the law, but the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments, expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. New wineskins. That's what that is. But then he makes this comment at the very end. And he says, No one after drinking old wineskins desires new, for he says the old is good. Much commentary on this, but to stay consistent with the previous statements that were made, we need to see the statement as a statement of irony. Condemning those who cling to the old and do not accept the new. Otherwise, it wouldn't be consistent. It wouldn't flow right into this. You see the Pharisees and their scribes and all of those who wanted to continue to adhere to the law and apply it. We see that attempt being made, by the way, in the church requiring certain things and they were corrected. These men also, they would prefer and cling to the law in the observance of Judaism rather than receive and observe the new covenant of grace known in Jesus Christ. And so I want to bring us through quickly some points of application. Number one, study to know the word and not be fooled. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, you, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The Pharisees and the scribes had misconceptions about Jesus. You won't fall for popular misconceptions about life, the church, the Bible, God, salvation. If you know what the Bible says, if you know truth. Second application, no Jesus, no joy. Someone once said that the surest sign of the presence of God is joy. Levi was full of joy and understood that discipleship meant denying himself, leaving all to follow Christ. But to know Jesus and follow him was worth it all and served as a cause for celebration. Luke 15, 7 says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Do not all need repentance? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not one. 
Listen, heaven is filled with joy and rejoices at the saving of one soul. If you see and understand and receive Jesus' love for you and what is gained when you surrender your life to him, you, you'll be willing to leave whatever is holding you back from that and run to him. Matthew 16, 25 says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Listen, one day, those who have believed in Jesus will be with Jesus for eternity in his glory. Whether at the point of the church being called home in the rapture or through the doorway of death, either way. The question is, Will you? And are you filled with joy? Just as Levi and Jesus' disciples were. Again, no Jesus, no truth. No Jesus, no joy. I'll leave you with this. And I do ask that if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that, that you would come up. Myself, I'm up here with a few of the leaders and we're always here available if you need prayer or you want to know what does it mean to be saved? Because I desire, as God desires, that you not walk out of here not having surrendered your life to the Lord. I, I pray that you would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that the joy of the Lord would fill your heart and you would have the hope of heaven. Psalm 1611 you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. I ask, Lord, that as we have studied the final portion of Luke chapter 5, that, Lord, it, it did a work in our own lives, our own, our own hearts, Lord. Your word ministered to us. Your spirit gave us an understanding. I pray, Lord, that we would have this joy that was expressed by Levi, that was expressed by the disciples that were with Jesus. Lord, because we know you. You are our God. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. We know, as Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, Lord, I pray, Father, that we would all confess Jesus is Lord. Believe that God raised him from the dead. Today sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on our behalf. Lord, that, Lord, he desires to see more people come to faith. And he is faithful and he is praiseworthy. He loves us with an everlasting love. May that draw us to you and bless you. In Jesus' name.